thought the music was so so good today. Not that it's, it's, it's good every day, pretty much. Yeah, let's give it a hand. We're so thankful for the staff that we have and thankful for Tracy that she leads that ministry for us with the music and thankful for Carmen leading the music for first service as well. That sometimes you just want to see that music continue on. You don't even like, hey, I'll just, I'll just pass on preaching today. I'll just continue to listen to some of those good songs. Get you stirred up um, because God can th- speak through music as well. But let's look to his word because we're going to be looking at the book of Hebrews. And again, we're talking about the high priest and uh, we're going to dive into this. Uh, we've talked a lot about the Old Testament and talking about the Old Testament in the way that uh, we saw the high priest, that God called there to be a high priest to represent the people of Israel, that this high priest was supposed to be uh, sacrificing for himself his sins so that he could stand before God pure and holy and that he could offer uh, a sacrifice for the sins for the people. And uh, Mark talked about a little bit about that. And there was a tabernacle that was built so that God's Holy Spirit could be in the most holy place. And only the high priest could enter that place. He had to wear special garments to be able to enter that place. And he had to dedicate and consecrate himself to be separate. And he had to wear a crown that said, Blessed to the Lord. Uh, so this person represented in the Old Testament, this ambassador, this representation for us between us and God. See, God has always wanted to be among his people. God wanted it when Adam and Eve were first here. Uh, he wanted and was walking with them in the garden. Couldn't you, I, I just love that imagery, loving the idea of just walking with God in an open garden and not feeling convicted about anything, being, knowing that I don't have any sin or I don't have any blemish just to be with God and hang out with God. But unfortunately, we have blemishes, right? We have sin in our heart and our life. And so we can no longer be in God's presence. And it's not that God doesn't want it. God wants us to be back, right? God wants our relationship back. But because we have sinned against God, we can't be in God's presence. We would be totally destroyed if we were. And every time you see a vision of that, as I've shared before, uh, you can't help but bow down and say, woe to me, like Isaiah did. Because you recognize the sin in your own heart and you know that you're from an unclean people. And that you know you personally have done unclean things. As I got an opportunity to teach the 5th and 6th grade. And basically I took three messages and put them into one. I don't think they were too bored. And we had some fun teaching the 5th and 6th grade last week. But it was a great opportunity to talk to them about the high priest. Because this was a special person in the Old Testament that was supposed to be this person that represented the people before God. And so that you could have this person represent you as a sinner and they would speak on God's behalf for you and they would pray for you and they'd bring petitions for you to God. But now, because of Jesus, he is the high priest. So everything that was done in the Old Testament, Jesus has completed. And so we have this opportunity to look at this book of Hebrews and study it and get to know it. And I would encourage you, again, if this is your first time hearing this, that this month we were reading the book of Hebrews. It's not too late. You can read two chapters a day and get pretty much through it by the end of the month. Get through this book. It's a great book, a lot of information. And really, I'm just going to share some highlights today that I felt like God wanted me to share today. But there is so much great content here. And what I'm going to be looking for is things that I want to convey about this high priest and talking about how Jesus fits that, that Jesus is better, that Jesus is greater. 
So let's start in verse 1, or yeah, chapter 1, verse 1, and verse 2. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and take that out. Highlight scripture, it's okay. Uh, they make plenty of additions. I know if you feel weird about it, it's okay. I understand. I'm not trying to press you on that. But if you have the Bible app and you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can go to events, look for Porterfield. All the sermon notes are there. We also have a, a study, a devotional that you can do. And there's also a right now media study uh, by uh, Drew Gray, uh, who actually, I think, came here one time years ago and spoke for some type of event the church had years and years ago before I think that was right after he finished his career in the NFL, and then he became a pastor, and he did this study on Hebrews. It's really good. We did it as a Sunday school class not too long ago. But here we go. Let's look. We don't know who wrote Hebrews too. Maybe I should share that. Hebrews was written by an unknown author. A lot of people think it may be Paul. It could have been. A lot of people think maybe it was somebody else. This person, whoever it was, was a Jewish scholar because of the information that they were able to connect the dots between the Old Testament and the New Testament. A, they know the, the wording and everything and then how they're able to convey the differences. This person had great knowledge about scriptures and was able to connect the dots between the Old Testament and New Testament and as far as where Jesus was and how he fit in to that whole thing. So let's look at this, verse 1, verse 2. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through him all things were made in the universe. So here's the thing that we start out with. There's no great introduction. He just gets right to the heart of the matter as he starts this book and says, in the past, God's spoken through different prophets and different people. But in the last days, now we can look to the Son. We can look to Jesus and be, he can be the cornerstone. He's the, the, the first thing you need to look to. As, as he talks about in chapter 4, he's the author and perfecter of our faith. Chapter, yeah, yeah. So it says here in verse 2, it says, But in the last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he has made the universe. So through Jesus he made everything. Through Jesus he made everything that there is. So Jesus was with God at the beginning and all the way through. He's always been with God. And that's where we get in the, in the beginning was the uh, Word, and the Word was with God in, John for, in the Gospel of John. So let's look at verse 3 and 4. It says this. It says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by the powerful word. And after he provided purifications for sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so he became much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. So the first thing I want to talk about is that Jesus is superior than the angels. Jesus is greater than the angels. And for us Christians, we're like, yeah, why is that important? Well, we've got to understand the reason why the book of Hebrews has been written is for his Jewish friends to understand the importance of Jesus. Because for a Jewish person at this, at this time or even before, a Jewish person would consider if an angel appeared to you, that was big news. That was something to take uh, serious. If an angel appeared to you, that was serious information that you should pay attention to. What did the angel say? What did they convey to you? What did they tell you? They'd want to know, and they would take that and respect that word that was given to the angels. 
Uh, and I love this. Uh, I put the greater uh, less than sign over here. You know, Jesus is greater than the angels. I, I learned this. I want to pay tribute to my teacher, Mrs. Lawrence in Mineral Oil School. She taught me this. You know how she taught me this about the, how, to, how to get this wrapped around my head? She, she told me that's like Pac-Man. Of course, I played Pac-Man in the Atari back when I was a kid. And she said that the Pac-Man goes after the greater thing. You know, he goes after the, the bonus or whatever it may be or the, the bigger uh, pellet or whatever it is. And so I, I think about this, and really I just wanted to condense it so it's not so big on the screen. But anyhow, Jesus is greater than the angels. And why is that significant? To, to, should be significant to us or significant to the Jewish people? Because they considered the angels so high and so respectable. And what this writer in Hebrews is saying is saying, Jesus' words, if you take the angels' words for things, we need to take Jesus' words higher than the angels because he's superior to the angels. In other words, everything that Jesus said through the Gospels, we should take in higher regard than any angel speaking to you because Jesus is the key. Jesus is higher than the angels. He's more important than the angels. And so if you read chapter 1 and you read chapter 3, we're not going to go through those. But if you continue to read that, you'll see that he lays this case out very carefully to help the Jewish people understand that the angels are underneath Jesus. That Jesus is above the angels. And so when we look at Jesus, we should take his words as serious as the angels' words. And actually more so. Because what Jesus has to offer is more valuable to us than what any angel would appear to you and say that Jesus is superior to any angel that might appear to you ever in your life. And so he's trying to convey this to the Jewish people to help them understand that Jesus' words matter. That we need to really take a look and take stock of what the words that Jesus spoke. And so in the first two chapters there, he's mentioning this. But we're going to move on and we're going to look at at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. I'll give you a second to go there. I'll take a drink and you guys can get there if you'd like to. So here in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, it says this. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Again, just kind of reiterating what we talked about. That we need to think about our thoughts towards Jesus. Before, the Jewish people would look to the law, they would look to Moses, they would look to these traditions, they would look to these things, they would look to the angel sightings maybe, they would look to the prophets, they would look to all these other people. And what this writer is saying, let's fix our thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. So he's already saying that Jesus is our high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him. Just as Moses was faithful in all God's house, Jesus has been found, listen, worthy, worthy of greater honor than Moses. Do you realize how big a deal this is to a Jewish person? For somebody to say that somebody is bigger than Moses? But he's saying this. He's saying that Jesus is higher than Moses. Moses, who brought the people out of Egypt. Moses, who, who, who rescued the people, who kind of led the people, who was the ambassador to God. He was the one that represented the people to God for the longest period of time. For 40 years, they saw Moses. Moses, who gave the law. Moses, who was given the tabernacle to build so they could worship God. 
says, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. So Jesus is greater than Moses. This, this Hebrew writer is just making the case going by, uh, you know, verse by verse. And really, I'm just highlighting a few areas here today. But he's going and making the case that Jesus is greater than Moses. And he's saying that we need to look to Jesus because Jesus is superior. Jesus is greater. Continuing on with this, verse 4 and 6 of chapter 3. says, for every house is built by someone. But God is the builder of everything. I love that phrasing. He's saying that Moses did a good job building the house and he built the tabernacle and he got the, the Israelites together and he brought them out, he helped bring them out of Egypt. But the builder is God and God is the builder of everything. And so for some Jews, it might have been hard for them to let go of this idea of the angels being superior. It might have been hard for them to let go of the Moses being superior. But what he's saying to him, he's, or he's saying to the Jewish people, he's saying, hey, God is superior. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what uh, would be uh, spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. In other words, Jesus is taking charge now. It's no longer Moses in charge. It's Jesus in charge over God's house. And we are his house. Let's not miss this point that, that the writer is making. He's saying, no longer really, he's basically saying that it's not a need for this tabernacle. If you remember Pastor Mark's message last week, and if you weren't here, feel free to check that out. And you can do a search on a tabernacle. Many Bibles have pictures of the tabernacle, kind of give you a, an idea of what it is. Unfortunately, the temple was destroyed in AD, you know, 70 AD. So there's no example of that. There's just the wall. Do you know why they pray to that wall? They're praying for that wall or that temple to be restored. But there was a tabernacle, the tent uh, during the time of Moses that they would travel with. And why is that? So they could have God's presence with them wherever they went. That way they could be with God. The unfortunate thing is because of man's sin is that they couldn't enter the holy place by themselves, could they? They had to have someone represent them. And that was the key of what we talked about with the high priest. The high priest would go in and speak on our behalf. Because of my sin, I couldn't go in there. So the high priest would sacrifice for himself to be clean. And then he would go in to represent us wearing these special garments that we talked about so that he could present a sacrifice for all the other people. So the Jewish people could be freed from their sin, but it wasn't a permanent fix. It was just temporary. It was done once a year to cover the sins. It wasn't permanent. So this writer is sharing this, that the new house, the new tabernacle, the new place is us. What does he mean by us? Well, we're the body of Christ. Us that are Christians, we are the ones that... Holy Spirit doesn't just dwell in a tabernacle in the most holy place anymore. That God's Spirit can dwell in me and you. That his presence can be found here. Isn't that amazing? That is truly amazing that I can be God's house. I can be a part of God's home. That God's Spirit can dwell in me. That God's Spirit can dwell in you. That we can be connected and because we're the body of Christ because we're connected to each other and connected through his son, Jesus Christ, we don't need a tabernacle. 
We don't need a special place to hold God's spirit because of the sacrifice that Jesus made that we'll get into. So continuing on here, let's move on a little bit. I might have missed a a verse there, but it's okay. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 15. So let's look at that. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 15. So therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Let's hold firmly to this faith, is what he's saying. Let's let's hold on to that. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, Just as we are, yet he did not sin. Yet he did not sin. So one of the things that you'll notice if you have ESV, which is totally a great translation. I'm not trying to knock it at all. But I do have just a slight little issue. It's not a big issue. But if you look in the ESV, it probably said sympathize. So you can either have sympathize or you can have uh, empathy or empathize. So the two different definitions there is sympathy is just feeling bad for your situation. I don't really understand it. I just feel bad for you. Where empathy, what it means is that I understand the situation. I totally, I totally get it because I put myself in that situation. I know what that's like. Jesus can empathize with us. Why is that? Because he came into this space. This is the only religion that ever says this, that ever has this, is that God would be willing to come into this space, live a perfect life for us, be tempted in every way. Do you think about this? How weak he was at that time when he, he fasted for 40 days and then a tempter comes, Satan comes to tempt him. And every time he says no, he uses God's word in his defense and says this is what the truth that I'm standing on says. And he said no to it. And I don't believe that was the only occasion that Jesus was tempted. He was, a, he was tempted on multiple times. You can look through the Gospels and see that. See, God himself came down into the personhood of Jesus, his son, and was willing to live a life that we could not live. That when we fail every time, not every time I should say, but we fail often, right? When temptation comes our way, there's some temptation that comes with us that we all have a hard time with, whether it's gossip, whether it's bearing false witness with our neighbors, whether it's coveting our neighbor's things, there's temptations that we all go through, right? And a lot of us, I would say all of us, right? Can we just equip us all to understand that we're all sinners? We've all fallen short of God's glory. None of us are perfect. Isn't it great to know that Jesus understands what it's like to go through temptation? Isn't it great that we know that we have an ambassador to represent us, this high priest, to represent us before God and say, I can understand what it's like to go through temptation. Now, God always makes a way of opportunity for us to escape sin. He doesn't, just because you're tempted doesn't mean you have to accept that temptation and sin against God, but we as mankind fell all the time, don't we? If we're honest with ourselves, we know it to be true. But Jesus was able to live a life perfect for, for God without blemish, without sin, without anything that he didn't do anything to disobey his father. And he was perfect. And yet Jesus can empathize and understand us. I'm so thankful for that. 
All other religions in the world that you'll find in this world are all about how you can become a better person, how you can be a better version of you. Christianity is the one, and even really some with Judaism, is talking about the fact that we need a rescuer. We need a savior. We need God to rescue us. We're sinful. We need a, a savior. Jesus is that savior, and the Jewish people are still looking for that Messiah. They've rejected Jesus for some of them, but they're still looking for that savior. But Jesus can empathize with us. He knows what it's like to go through that. Continuing on in verse uh, 16 of that same chapter 4, it says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Wow, isn't this great? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You know, one of the things that I mentioned about Isaiah, and he was, had this vision, and he was saying God, and what did he respond? And when he saw he was in the presence of God, he said, Whoa, to me. For I'm unclean, my lips are unclean, and I come from a, a people that have unclean lips. He recognized his sin. He recognized there was an, an issue in his heart towards God, that he had problems in his life. But here's the thing, because we have a perfect representative in Jesus, I can come confidently to the throne of God. I don't have to be scared of it. I don't have to be worried about it. You know, like Adam and Eve. What happened with Adam and Eve? Did God change in that scenario in the garden? When they had sinned against God, did God change? No, God was the same the whole time. What changed in that relationship was that Adam and Eve scared because they recognized they'd sinned against God, and therefore they hid from the presence of God because they knew that there was something wrong with them. But we can come before God confidently because we know Jesus. You ever been to a place and, and maybe you, you knew somebody and they got you in? So like, I don't know, that's never happened to me, but maybe you've had that experience where you've tried to get in somewhere because you knew somebody, they were able to get you backstage or get you into a certain place that you never had an opportunity to go, before, uh, go to that place before. Well, Jesus is that same concept that I can go before God's throne. I can go in the Holy of Holies because of Jesus, because he represents me. And even though I know I'm flawed, even though I know I'm not perfect and I'm sinful at times, I can come before the throne of God because of what Jesus did, because he represents me, because he empathizes with us. He understands our situation, and he's willing to show us grace and mercy. Moving on in chapter 5 here, in verse 1 through 4, it says, Every priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he asked to come offer sacrifices for his own sin. Again, he's talking about the old a high priest like Aaron and all the other high priests before, that they would have to come in and offer a sacrifice for themselves first because they were weakened. They were weakened by the human state that they were in. And then he goes on and he says, for the sins of the people. And no one can take this honor on himself, but he received it when he was called by God, just as Aaron was. So what this is saying, and again, I'm just giving you a highlight. If you want to read, continue to read this chapter, it'd be really good for you to check the chapter out because it talks about this idea that Jesus was appointed by God. 
Just like when John was baptizing Jesus, what happened? The heavens opened up and it said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, right? So God was honoring Jesus. And what did Jesus do in response? He honored back the father. He understood that he was here to honor and bring glory to his heavenly father. And so in that, he was appointed by God. God appointed Jesus to be this high priest. In other words, Jesus didn't take it by force. Jesus didn't try to dictate what was going to happen. He submitted himself and was willing to obey the call to go and rescue us. He accepted the call that God had given him. Just like God called Aaron to be the first high priest, God called Jesus to be his high priest. And Jesus accepted the calling that was upon his life. And everything that you read in the Gospels, Jesus is submitting himself to the Father and recognizing the Father as having the authority and the power. And it's actually just before Jesus washes the disciples' feet, that's when he is given full power and authority to do what he wants. And what does he do? He washes the disciples' feet. And then he goes on a cross. Jesus was appointed to this. He was called to do this. He took that responsibility on. And he was willing to do that. I'm not saying that choice wasn't easy. At the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays. And he says, Father, if it be your will, let this cup. In other words, let this situation pass for me, but not my will but your will be done. Jesus was willing to accept the call that God had given him to be this representative, this ambassador, this high priest for all of us. Hebrews chapter five, verse seven through eight, it says this. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervor, cries and tears to the one who could save him from his death. Think about that. He made prayers and petitions and with fervent cries and tears. Jesus, you think about Jesus' life through the Gospels. How many times did he go away to pray and spend time with his Father? How many times did he pray for Jerusalem or he prayed for the people? Jesus was praying to God the Father and talking with him on many, many occasions. That was one of the jobs of a high priest, was to pray for the people, to be somebody that, again, represented the people with petitions towards God. Continuing on in verse 9, it says, And one once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So I'll go ahead and share a little bit about this, but the main thing of this is that that I want to get across is Jesus was obedient. Jesus accepted the call, and then he was obedient in the call. He did everything, as I mentioned, that his father wanted him to do. He wasn't living a life for himself. He lived a life for his father. He lived a life for God. And this is really what God calls us to do, right? To not live a life for ourselves, but to live a life worthy of the calling of God to live a life that Christ lived, to want to be like Christ. As we call ourselves Christians, we are to be like Christ. That's what that word Christian means, is I'm Christ-like. 
So let's go ahead and talk about this Melchizedek. What does this mean? So this Melchizedek, you can find it in Genesis, was, it was an interesting time where this, this king showed up, and, and Melchizedek means uh, righteousness. And uh, Salem is, um, well, well, let me back up. Uh, his name Melchizedek means uh, righteous king. And then the place where he was from, Salem, he was the king of Salem, which is peace. So he was the king of righteousness and the king of peace. There's an interesting part here where Abraham meets this Melchizedek, and you know Melchizedek blesses uh, Abraham. So God used him, and he was a high priest for God. And so what, what this writer of Hebrews is saying is saying, God's doing a new thing through this new way, because in Aaron, there was errors and there was mistakes. In this new person that he wants to create in Jesus... He wants to do it like he did with Melchizedek, that it was separate, but it was new, and it was fresh, and there was a better approach, a better promise. And so, going back to this, Jesus was obedient. Jesus is obedient. I shouldn't say Jesus was, because he still is. And that's why I changed that, because Jesus is obedient. Jesus does listen to his Father. He does what the Father wants him to do. And so it was through suffering. Isn't that interesting that suffering a lot of times leads us into obedience? That sometimes me going through things makes me more obedient? But how much Jesus did Jesus really suffer? How much Jesus did Jesus really go through? He went through all the difficulties of life. He was a carpenter's son. He didn't have a lot of wealth to his name. He didn't really have a home to rest his head, right? Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but there's no place for the Son of Man. What did Jesus go through? He was beaten, mocked, tortured, whipped, had a crown of thorns on his head. Instead of getting honor and dignity, we stripped him of all that. Here was God's holy son sent for all of us, and he was made to go through the streets of Jerusalem carrying a cross while people were excited to see him die. And where was all of his disciples? Where was all of those that worshipped him and, and were excited to hear his messages? Why did they come? Why did he have these great multitudes come in the first place? Well, oftentimes, maybe they did want to hear a good message. Maybe it was because they wanted to see a miracle take place. Maybe it was because they wanted to get some food and they get their belly full. Or maybe they had a personal need and they just wanted to be healed. But really, they didn't want Jesus. They didn't really want Christ. And all of his followers abandoned him except John, who was there with Mary when Jesus was on the cross. Everybody else got scared and took off. But Jesus was obedient to the very end. When he said it is finished on the cross. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 11 through 12 as we move on. If perfection could have attained through the Levitical priesthood. So he's talking about if the high priest could have, if this could have been maintained and it kept going. And indeed the law was given to the people established that, high, that priesthood. Why was there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek. Not in the order of Aaron. For when the priesthood is changed, the law also might, must change. I'm going to skip down a little bit to verse 23 in that same chapter. 
Now there has been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has the permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. So what he's saying is that Jesus is permanent. And I want you to understand this idea. So before you'd have a high priest like Aaron. Aaron would be the high priest for like, you know, 50, 60 years maybe. Who knows? And then, I mean, I haven't done the math, so you can maybe somebody can fact check that and see that, what, what actual time there was. But anyhow, then he died, right? Then so you have another high priest come along. And another high priest comes along. And another, and another, because there's life and there's death. There's life and there's death. But with Jesus, because he's God's son, he lives forever. So but why is Jesus a great high priest? Because he's permanent. He will never stop interceding for you. He will never give up. He will never die. He will never stop interceding for his people. Well, one person you might have went to, Aaron, and you told him about something you were dealing with, and he's like, I'll pray for you. I'll talk to God. And then the next person, he dies, and then the next person comes along. He doesn't know any of the history, right? Jesus knows your history totally. And he's able to intercede for you all the time because he's permanent. He lives forever. He's permanent. You will always know that you have Jesus to go to as a high priest. Jesus made him, or Jesus is permanent. So let's continue moving on in chapter 7, verse 26. It says this, such a high priest truly meets our needs. He's saying that this high priest really meets our needs, that this person in Jesus is the person that we really need. Why is that? He says that this is one who is holy. Jesus is holy. Jesus is blameless. He's pure. He's set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. This is a greater high priest in Jesus than all the others in the past. So as a Jewish person, he's saying, this is Jesus, and he's the high priest. And again, I just find it fascinating. Where's their high priest today? As a Jewish person, I don't know how you can get beyond this, that in 70 AD, that that temple was destroyed. There is no place for the Holy Spirit of God to be in. There's no one to go and intercede for the people with their sins, or his sins, and then their sins. Because there is no place. Isn't it interesting? And I believe it's because Jesus is the high priest. Jesus is the one that the Jewish people should recognize as the Messiah. But unfortunately, they haven't. But you know what? God's going to continue to minister and try to reach everyone. He wants everyone to come to the knowledge of his son, Jesus. And that's what's so great about this book of Hebrews because he is helping the Jewish people understand why Jesus is the perfect fit to be our eternal high priest. He says, unlike the other high priests, he, has not, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself Jesus is a better sacrifice and a better high priest because the others, what could they offer? They could offer animals. They could offer goats. They could offer, you know, lambs. They could offer other animals. But how is that going to take our place? But what did Jesus do? He offered himself as the sacrifice. He came down as mankind, 
fully God, fully man, and offered himself. Jesus is the greater sacrifice. Jesus is the sacrifice that just, it, it blows the others away. In verse 28, for the law appoints as a high priest men in all their weaknesses, talking about the former high priest, but the oath, this promise that God has given, which came after the law, appoints the son who has made perfect forever. See, this promise was given to David long before that his son would be uh, a part of a kingdom forever and ever. That his kingdom, David's kingdom, would last forever and ever. Well, how can that be? Well, it's through God's son, Jesus, that he's in the lineage of David. That's why, you know, all those words that we read, they're really boring when we read about all the uh, history of like this, this person could be got that person, this person we got, and that sometimes we get lost in that. The reason why that's important is because David is direct our yeah, direct descendant of Jesus. Jesus is a direct descendant. I don't know. You, you got it. <laughs> but the idea is this, is Jesus is perfect, without blemish, without stain. You know, it's funny because we can get all fired up with government things. We get all fired up with, you know, anything, right? We can get fired up at, at grocery stores or, or anything that goes wrong, right? But we're dealing with mankind, Right? We're all flawed, right? We all make mistakes. That's why grace should be given to each of us, right? Because we're all sinful. We've all sinned. But with Jesus, there's no blemish. There's no, there's no issue there. There's no problem there. There's no, you know, the thing of it is, Jesus is never going to go backstab you. Jesus is never going to turn his back on you. He's always going to try to present himself and say, here I am. And even in God's wrath, he's going to be right in front of you and so that you recognize that you've done wrong. Because God is truth and Jesus is truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is perfect. He's the perfect sacrifice, the perfect person to represent us as a high priest, to be an ambassador for us, to intercede for us. I'm so thankful that I can come to God's throne confidently, not because of me, but because it's Jesus representing me. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6 through 7, it says this, but in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is the mediator, mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there has, had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have sought, been sought for another. In other words, the old way was never going to really succeed because it was made on false promises. And not false promises, but the promises couldn't be withheld. They couldn't be kept. The high priest would always mess up. You can look at the history of the high priest. They weren't innocent. As Mark, Pastor Mark said, there was a tradition that they would tie a rope to the high priest because if they went in the Holy Holies and they weren't uh, cleansed and, and, and holy in that place, then they would die. And they would have to take that rope and pull them up because nobody would want to go in there, right? It's interesting. Continuing on to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 through 12, it says this. But when Christ came as the high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, it is not a part of his creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats or calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his blood, thus attaining Eternal redemption. 
See, one of the things I found fascinating is that Jesus, with the high priest, you know, they'd had to put the, the garments on. They'd have to cleanse themselves. They'd have to offer a sacrifice for themselves. But with Jesus, Jesus can go wherever he wants. He doesn't have to do anything special. He doesn't have to, to clean up or, or get ready. He is ready. He, he's always ready. So God can, he can, he can be before God any, any time. What does it say? That, that Jesus is on the right hand of the Father. He's right there. He's in the Holy of Holies all the time. In other words, there's not some special thing. And, and remember this tabernacle that we talked about. What, uh, can I share this for a second? The reason why the tabernacle was built in the first place is so that God could be amongst his people. God wanted to be with his people like in Adam and Eve in the Garden of Gethsemane. Or, yeah, not Garden of Gethsemane. In, in the Garden of Eden, he wanted to be amongst his people. He wanted to go back to that. He wanted to be close to them. But they kept rebelling. They kept doing things wrong. So he sent his son Jesus that could do everything the right way so that he could be with his people. God's objective through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, is to be with his people. God wants those that choose him to be with him forever and ever. And he wants all to have the option and choice to come. He wants everyone to be saved. But unfortunately, all of us rebelled against him, and some of us, unfortunately, won't choose him. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13 through 14, it says this, The blood of goats and bulls and ashes of the heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctifies them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished, again, unblemished to God, cleanse, us, our, cleanse our consciences from the acts that led to death. All the things that led to death, he can clear our consciousness so that we may serve the living God, that we may be clean, that we may be pure. Verse 15, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal eternal insurance, inheritance, sorry, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Jesus is our mediator and our redeemer. And that is so true. It's so true that he is our mediator and our redeemer. As we look at chapter 9, verse 24, as we kind of get this closed up here today, it says this, for Christ did not enter a sanctuary sanctuary made with human hands that was the only a copy of the true one but he entered heaven itself again that God's able to go to heaven itself what here was just a copy the tabernacle everything that pastor Mark showed you last week or you could search on the internet that was just a temporary man-made thing it was supposed to bring us close to God but unfortunately because man was involved it failed in a way and God's provided a new way for us in Jesus he entered heaven itself. In verse 25, it says, Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again. So in other words, Jesus doesn't have to keep killing, you know, keep dying and keep dying on the cross. It says that the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would not have to suffer 
many times since the creation of the world, but he has appeared once and for all at the culmination of the age to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. And so Jesus is able to offer himself just as people in verse 27, it says, are, are destined to die once and after that face judgment. So Christ was able to sacrifice once to take away the sins of the many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are wanting, waiting for him. So Jesus died once and for all. In other words, we don't need to keep having sacrifices. And Pastor Mark's going to talk about the tale, the, the veil of the temple being torn when Jesus died. Basically saying from top to bottom, basically saying there's no need for this sacrifice anymore. Because this sacrifice of Jesus is once and for all. He died for all, for one time. Because Jesus' sacrifice was the superior one. In closing, let's share this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 through 14. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this high priest, talking about Jesus, had offered for one one time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstools. For one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So what's going on here? That I can be holy. That you can be holy. And it's not anything I've done. It's not about me becoming a better person. It's not me trying to do a bunch of works. It's me accepting the sacrifice of Jesus, letting him to take control of my life, me surrendering my life to him. And by that, I can be saved. You can be saved. And by that, I can enter God's presence holy. Something I couldn't do myself. I couldn't, I couldn't fix the problem. But God, in his great love and mercy, said, I'll fix it for you. I'll send my son Jesus to take on all the sin. He'll live the life that he'll fulfill all the Old Testament. He'll fulfill the prophets and the law. He'll do all that. And then he'll lay down his life and be that lamb of God to take the sins of the way away from all the world. That anybody that chooses to see Christ, isn't it interesting, this, this cross that we see today is the symbol of hope for us. Back then it was a sign of torture, but today it's a sign of hope because we know that God sent his son and that son loved us so much that he gave his one and only life. I mean, that he gave his life for us. And so as we take this time of communion and we have a little bit of music maybe accompanying this time, you know, communion is this for Christians. If you don't know Christ, I'd encourage you not to take this because it's really about a relationship with Jesus. So if you don't have a relationship with Christ, I'd rather you hold off on doing this. But if you would like to accept Christ today, I want to give you that opportunity. And you can do it from right where you are, but I'd encourage you to tell somebody if you do. You can just pray a simple prayer. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't, I don't even know if the words matter as much as the heart of you saying this. But to recognize before God that you're a sinner, that you need a Savior, that you recognize that Jesus Christ is that person 
that can save you. And you say, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. I want you, Jesus. I want you to come into my heart and my life, and I want to live a life like yours. I want to be like you, Jesus. And by saying that prayer and coming from your heart and speaking those words with your mouth and confessing that you need Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will be saved. And so today, if you don't know Jesus Christ, as I pray a prayer, I invite you to say your own prayer, but it's between you and God. And if you make that decision today, tell somebody, let somebody know, because it's worth telling, it's worth sharing. As we've done a you know, message about the prodigal son and the lost coin, there's a celebration in heaven. When somebody comes to know Jesus Christ as their savior, there's a celebration going on in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time and we thank you for your words and we thank you for the writer of Hebrews who really does such a great job for us to all understand about the greatness of who you are, how Jesus was the perfect representation for us, the perfect high priest to represent us. And the Lord, that you are on the throne with your heavenly Father and, and that you intercede for us, you pray for us, you care for us. And Lord, you want all of us to come home. You want all of us to recognize your son, Jesus, to recognize our sin and to confess it before you. Lord, as we take these elements, help us to remember why these elements are here, to remind the sacrifice of what you did for us that you gave your life for each one of us. Help us to be more like you, Lord. Forgive us of our sin and thank you for your sacrifice, that you take the sacrifice that you made and you clean us and you wash us whiter than snow and we can be holy because you are holy and because of what you did for us, that we can have that relationship with our Heavenly Father through your sacrifice and your life. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. So Jesus, when he was dis disciples before he died, he said, take, this is my body. Think about that, that Jesus said, this is my body. He's saying, I'm giving up myself for you. I've sacrificed myself. My body is gonna be sacrificed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The reason why we take communion on a regular basis is we want to remember that the sacrifice it took, that he was willing to give his body, that he gave his body for me and you. This body represents that he's taking my place. He took my punishment. He took and bared, as I talk about the high priest and they had the names of the, of the different tribes on the shoulders and on the heart, the breastplate, Jesus took our names. And he represented with his own body all the, all the burden, all the sin for us. So Jesus says, take, do this in remembrance of me. And then Jesus took the cup. 
And Jesus said, this is my blood. And as we think about it, this blood has always represented atonement. Blood in the New Testament, Old Testament, it's always about the blood. It's the life. I don't know of anybody that can live without blood, do you? Blood is one of those things that your body needs to survive. And it's amazing when you think about like Abel and Cain, when Cain was killed, or Cain killed Abel, I should say. Abel's you know, body laid in the field and the blood, God said, is crying out to me. It's a life force that we all need. And this blood represents a sacrifice. It represents death. But because Jesus was able to give his own life and shed his blood, we don't have to. We don't have to. It's because of Jesus. And what did Jesus say? This is my new covenant. This is my promise. That this blood is for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blood. We thank you for the elements here. And we thank you for a broken body. Lord, be with us today as we close this service. Lord, help us to understand how vital you are to us. You are the cornerstone. You are the perfecter of our faith. Lord, help us to seek you and to live for you each day of our lives. And for anybody here that doesn't know you, help them to welcome you into their heart and in their life, recognizing their sin and confessing you as Lord of their life. Be with us all. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Let's all stand.